I feel like that interlude was like very country music-y and like what what a perfect match for our big announcement today. We are like you guys. We're ready to jump off a bridge. Um, we have inclement weather here in St. Louis again. We just got back from Nashville two days ago and my kids went to school one day and then now they're out until Tuesday. We could have just stayed in Nashville and not been stuck here in the freezing cold. However, Mother Nature hates us and decided to screw us once again. Um, But anyways, it's all right because we've been getting a ton of stuff done, even with the kids home. I hope you guys are not totally losing your minds. I feel for those of you who really do have like full-time jobs that you have to go to and you like have to call in and rearrange your entire life. I, I don't know how you guys do it, especially our police families. You've got one parent at home while the other one is working 12-hour shifts and you're stuck at home with kids this long. It is literally just painful, and I remember those days very well. So kudos to all of you. Holler if you need wine. Anyways, um, Brian and I just put the kids to bed. We had a very cool guest speaker planned for this week, but due to the weather, we had to push them off until next week. I'm excited to get them on here, and I will do it as soon as possible once we are able to reschedule. However, in the meantime, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to get something out to you guys. So first things first, we are pumped. I have been holding our surprise launch party guests inside of my body, like not saying anything for months now. And I finally got to post the launch party for St. Michael's Army. I'm so stoked. Big D, DJ Big D is a great friend of mine. David Hines has been a local DJ in the St. Louis area for many, many years. And he is absolutely phenomenal at what he does. He puts on the best party. Um, We've got DJ Silver coming in from Nashville, Tennessee. He's a country music DJ. Actually, he kind of does a little bit of everything, honestly. Um, He's got a residency in Vegas. He puts on a hell of a show. He's one of my very good friends. Um, I've adored him since he's lived in St. Louis. He's always been one of the nicest, most down-to-earth individual individuals. And with the success that he has run into, I could not be more proud of him and more thankful for what he's doing for me. We've got host Tommy Lauren coming in from Fox News and or Fox Nation. She's absolutely amazing. If you don't know who she is, you definitely should, especially if you're a Blue Line family. Huge advocate and voice for police officers. And we are thrilled to have this lineup um, for our St. Michael's Army launch party, we actually sold out of sponsorships in less, I think it was less than an hour. I think it was like 58 minutes we sold out of VIP booths and sponsorships. You guys are absolutely incredible. Tickets to the event are on sale now. They're going quick. So if you have not got them and you need um, information on where to get them, email me at info at stmichaelsarmy.org and I will get you the link. But secure your tickets ASAP. This is not like a fancy sit-down dinner it's not like a fancy talking, speaking event. This is a friggin' party, y'all. They're going to put on one hell of a show, one hell of a party at Rise Nightclub in Ameristar Casino in St. Charles, and we are super stoked. So um, I hope that if any of you guys are listening, you know how grateful we are. It means the world to us to have you here for our launch event for St. Michael's Army and its sponsors who stepped up and um, secured their booths and their VIP packages like so quickly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. It means the world to us. We are going to change a lot of Blue Line family lives with this money. We have big intentions. If you are unclear of our mission, please reach out to me. Let me help you understand it. Essentially, what St. Michael's Army is, is it is a 
resource for everyday police officers. They literally just go to our website. There's a link there that says I need help and they can apply for financial assistance. They can apply for mental health assistance, anything and everything they need. There is a spectrum, a wide range of things that we are able to assist with, whether it be they're just having a shit month, shit year, they need help with lawn care. They need help with house cleaning, daycare. They need mental health resources that are realistic. Um, they need, you know, grants. They need to. They need help financially with something. We're gonna. There's, there's a million things we're gonna help with, and you guys are gonna start seeing that play out as we can secure the funds to do this stuff. But we are going to be a resource for the everyday police officer, not just the injured or killed police families. We want to help alleviate stress from the everyday life of police because they are dealing with an entire new beast of a career over the last couple of years as this has morphed into complete chaos. And I mean, when we started this whole entire mission, we kind of thought like it would be a fun way to raise money, help a few families, do what we could. We literally like had no idea we were opening Pandora's box. Like there's such a gap here and things that are needed for families right now that are their police officer families. Like it's unbelievable to me how out of control it is and how much help so many of these people need. I had no idea. We thought we had an idea. We did not have an idea. And now it's become, now that we know it, we can't unknow it and neither can you. So anyways, um, that's kind of a little bit about us. And I'm just going to kind of get right into what we wanted to talk about tonight. Um, I've got Mr. Brian here with me and St. Michael's Army, like I just told you kind of what our mission is. It's, it's going to be a way to handle the insanity of being a police officer. And many of you know us, many of you don't, but I'm going to kind of tell you our story tonight because I don't really have much content that I got to due to having my children home. I didn't get to catch up on my emails. A lot of times I'll have officers like write me emails, things that they want to say. I like to use this podcast as a leg or an avenue for police officers who have things that they want to say. Um, This gives them a place to technically say it, even though it's me saying it, they can send in what they want me to tell the public and I can read it so that way they don't get in trouble and it remains completely confidential. And I feel like that is a good thing to offer them so that they can have that headspace cleaned up. They can get whatever it is that they're bottling up out of their body. And that's kind of what this, this kind of was created for. But because I have my kiddos home, I just really haven't had time to catch up on much of that. So I will do that, I promise, and I will get those messages out. In the meantime, I just kind of wanted to walk you guys through conceptually what made us come up with everything that we're doing. My husband is, if you guys know Brian, he is, he's quiet. Don't I mean, right? I know so many people are laughing right now. He's pretty quiet. He's laid back, super chill. He's hard to make mad. Um, he was one of the good cops for a long, long time. He was the de-escalator. He was the calm one. He was the big one. Uh, so if you crossed him up, it wasn't going to end well, but it took a lot to get Brian to a point of anger. It still does. To be married to me, you kind of have to have a high tolerance for anger. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you didn't comment on that just now, mm. by the way. Um Anyways, when he got into law enforcement, when I met him, he just got out of the police academy. He had not gotten a job yet. He just graduated the police academy and we started dating. 
And he was what? How many jobs do you think you applied for? From jobs, yeah. Double, I don't know, a lot, probably double digits. Yeah, at the end of it. So we, I can remember at least four or five of the processes that he went through, and there were so many cops. We talked about it in the last episode that you guys heard with uh, Dr. Tom Leeser from Eastern Missouri Police Academy. There were so many people that would apply for these like one or two spaces that were open that it was like impossible to get a job. And he tried and tried and tried and it took forever and ever for him to get a job. And he was so eager to go do this job. He was so excited. He loved the idea of being a cop. And we talk about it. You know, we were young kids back then. I think I was 26 when I met you and you were 30, Um, maybe 31. And our late night conversations before we had kids were much different than they are now. And we would talk about, I would just say like, why? Like, to a 26-year-old girl, to see uh, a guy like Brian in uniform, mostly that's really what we really, <laughs> that's really what we liked <laughs> back then is just uh, seeing the hot guy in the uniform. And that's kind of all you really knew. At 26, you really didn't get too deep into the stuff. And to be honest, police work just wasn't the same back then. My dad was a cop for, I think, upwards of 18 years. And my sister-in-law is also still a police officer now. And I'd been around it my whole life. So I I wasn't fearful of it. It wasn't like it is now. So it didn't bother me when he was, you know, when we had met and he had just gotten out of the academy. But back when I asked him, I remember him just always saying, I just want to help people. I just want to help people. I just want to help people. I just like people and I just want to help them. And that was really, and if you know Brian to this day, that's just kind of him. He's he's the helper. He's the fixer. That's what he wants to do. Um, he's also a pain in my ass, but it is what it is. And he started with this, super eager, happy, positive outlook. When he got his first job, finally, he was thrilled. He couldn't wait. There was a lot of good old boy shit that still went on back then. I remember him battling with his field trainer. There's a lot of, you know, you see this stuff on what's that movie called? The funny one where, you know, the rookie, what's it called? Oh my God. Super Troopers. That's Rook. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a movie. Yeah, I mean, but that looks fun, right? Like you're a rookie oh, yeah, and they they've messed with you great. and whatever. But that's not always the 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 way that it it was. Um, a whole another episode can be how how relationships and the PDs are currently working. That can be a whole another day. That's a whole another. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a that's a lot to talk about right now with this. So I'm not going to go into that. But the camaraderie is that what you would call it? Between you and other officers? Yeah, I mean, it was fair. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Sometimes. Most of the time. Most of the time. There were still your, you know, the guys that just had to be those guys. Always. always. Didn't didn't make them bad people, just made them people not for us. You don't have to get along with everybody that you work with, but I I did enjoy most most of the guys, at least, that I was around. um, I liked and for a long time, I feel like he would come home in a good mood and he loved his brothers and his sisters in blue. And that's like what we would talk about. And it was a happy life for a long time until I think, I guess it was around the time that Ferguson started. And unfortunately, I hate even referencing any of that, but it's true. When that started, everything just changed. It just shifted. It changed. And that's when I noticed him getting different. Right away, we noticed it because I think every police family knew when all of that went down, we all knew 
what happened. We all knew the real story and we saw what was happening in front of our face. And I think we knew immediately this is going to be bad because people were so stupid. (laughs) In all honesty, people were so blinded and they literally had no idea what they were talking about. And they would just make these statements and these, they would make these remarks and they're completely untrue. And you know it for a fact. And we were like, but wait, people believe it. Like this is really happening. And I think that's kind of when that, oh shit, mindset started to shift. And from there, after about a year or two of cell phone cameras being tossed in their faces and Brian's whole dynamic changing at work, he would begin to um, decline. I got pregnant right away when we got married. So right when he got his first job, I, I just found out I was pregnant with our first and I had the baby. Um, I had my, who is now, I guess he's nine. Um, and you mix in the craziness that was going on, the changes that were occurring just with being an officer, a brand new baby who is not sleeping, not to mention you're not sleeping. So the way that police officer schedules work, it's 12 hour shifts. One week, it's two days. The next week, it's five days. A lot of times they'll do like month, like Brian's schedules were always 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then 30 days later, it would shift and go back to 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. So he was a walking zombie, literally like every single day. His sleep schedule was so jacked up. And then with a brand new baby in the house, he wasn't sleeping. He would do his best to help me with the baby. I mean, basically, we just didn't sleep. Honestly, we just did not sleep. There was so many years of just not sleeping. And I know so many of you families listening to this right now are like, yep, that shit sucked. And you're probably still going through it. And I commend you. But it was awful. So then when the sleep patterns, what I noticed how bad he was getting, um, he would get delirious one time. Like he accidentally left the car and drive when he got home. He didn't put it in park. He fell asleep and it ran into the garage door. He was so delirious so often. I started to notice that first. And then the anger started, like the shortness. And um, like I would ask him a question and it would be like the meanest, shortest response. And over time, like how long would you say that? Did you know you were doing that when you were doing it? No, it's just kind of a lifestyle at that point. So you didn't even know like when you were being aggressive or being short there wasn't like, you didn't realize it. Was there ever a time that you were like, damn, I am really not myself. Like, did you, was there a time that you can point out that you remember thinking like something's different with me? Mm, I don't think, I don't, I don't, you know what? I don't even remember. I just, you're just, you're just, I don't know, angry a lot. So it's just kind of becomes a lifestyle, I guess. So no, you don't really realize. And I think it's gradual. So, you know, you don't just realize that you're doing it. And you might at some point sit down and go, oh, shit, I was I was a pretty big dick to, you know, the wife or the kids tonight. But um, in general, it's just kind of, it's just, it, it's your personality just morphing into what it has to morph into. So you can survive at work. You can survive your year department and staying out of the brass's office and the public and the media. And 
it's you just kind of morph into it slowly and i think most guys do and so you just didn't you just did not know like there was never a time that you can recall just to clarify because i'm i'm doing this for the spouses there was never a time that you could just remember sitting down and being like uh oh i feel different like or i am different like no it uh, well for me it was just it was like i said it was gradual so it didn't it wasn't like oh i was super extremely happy one day at work and then the next day I was just like oh well this sucks I hate everybody it, it was just a gradual thing and I think it just builds up and builds up until you hit your breaking point and you just kind of you work till you get there and then once you hit that point you're just you, you don't realize that you everybody like else can realize it right but you really don't because it's just kind of you at this point so and on the other end of that wife home with a new baby or a couple babies because when he got really bad, um, I had I had Hudson too, which is my my second baby, and he is now six. And when it was really at its worst, I had two two babies at home, and I knew it. I knew it immediately. I saw it and thought about it all the time that you weren't yourself, you were somebody completely different, you weren't who I married, and I knew why, and I loved you through it because I knew you were still inside of there. I knew. I was smart enough and strong enough. I'm a very, for anybody who knows me, for anybody who doesn't, I'm a very Italian, strong woman. I am like almost kind of weird in certain ways. Like, how would you describe me? Like, I have like the warmest cold dead heart. <laughs> like, what is it? Like, how would you describe my personality? Uh, that sounds like a trick question to me. No, it's not a trick question, but you can you can say, you can commend me. Like, I'm a pretty dude style chick like I'm a pretty much a guy's girl like a guy's like I'm like a dude <laughs> I don't I feel and I'm emotional and I cry and I love yeah you get along probably better with guys than you do most girls I'm not an emotional basket case and I don't freak out and I you know like well well I, I shouldn't say freak out like I don't like I wasn't gonna lose it on you I was calm I was more patient because I knew you were still in there like I'm a pretty level-headed person. So I could think through a lot of it, which saved us. The fact that we had brand new babies and I couldn't do it by myself. The fact that I couldn't work because of your crazy schedule. And the fact that I was logical for the most part, I could really think through like, okay, I know he's still in there. I know we have work to do. We're going to have to clean up this mess. But I think, honest to God, by the time that I gave birth to our second I knew we were going to get out. I knew we were going to get out. I didn't know how, but I knew we were going to get out. And that's kind of where I lived for a long time in my own head. Because I know that many of you spouses that are listening notice these changes almost immediately in your husbands or your wives. And even moms and dads, I've heard mothers and fathers of police officers that immediately notice it. We notice it much sooner. But we are compassionate to those feelings because we know what they see. We hear the stories, the, the limited stories they will tell us, but we also, you know, you can draw up assumptions of what they're seeing. And again, like Dr. Releaser said in the last episode, the worst horror movie you've ever seen, multiply it by a hundred. And that isn't even a start at what some of these guys have to deal with. And so you're compassionate when you love somebody who's in law enforcement, you love them through that because you understand but it sucks because you're also 
still miserable and sad and hurting. And you're almost grieving this person who is no longer that person that you married. And it becomes an everyday battle and challenge. And we lived it and it was awful. And he got to a very dark place. Um, before he officially got out, it got so bad. We, I don't know if we ever, we talked divorce. We never spoke to an attorney. It never went that far because we were honestly just too tired, but the suicide talk started and we're just going to talk about this because you guys need to know it. And this is something that you need to hear because I know so many of you think that it's just you and it's not. My husband was the most loving, normal, calm, laid back, level-headed human being on planet earth. And the guy would come home, lose his mind for what could be a dish in the sink the wrong way. Literally the littlest, stupidest stuff would set him off. He would go ape. And then he would sit down in our room alone would not talk. And eventually it was just kind of like, I remember towards the end before I finally said, that's it, you're done. It was almost at every single day, he'd be like, I wish somebody would just kill me at work. I just wish somebody would kill me at work. I wish somebody, I just don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. I'm so miserable. I can't do this anymore. And when you hear that from somebody that you love, the father of your children, your son, your daughter, your wife, your husband, you, I mean, it is like the worst feeling in the world and you're helpless and you know that it's real and that they're feeling that way. I never believed that Brian would act on it. I don't know why I didn't. Maybe that was stupid. I don't ever want any of you listening to think that you shouldn't act on that just because I said that I didn't, I didn't or like get help because I felt like he wouldn't act on that. I knew him pretty well. I I felt like we weren't quite there yet, but I knew we were getting close. And when you were saying those things, do you remember saying them? Do you remember like at the Mexican restaurant, like when I was crying and the babies were crying because you were screaming and like we had to like leave, we didn't even eat. Mm -hmm. Do you remember like where you mentally were? Like if you were talking to another police officer who is where you were then right now, what would you say to them? I don't know. I, I haven't, I remember it. I, you know, I can't, it's hard to go back into that spot that I was in. I, I just remember with everything that the job had and the stress that the job brought and then the stress at home with the kids and you and no sleep, you just, you become somebody, you become a shell basically. And I just, I remembered, I'm like, I don't, I thought if, you know, if I was killed in the line of duty, at least that, um, you know, you guys would be taken care of and we could be out of debt. You know, you, 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 back when I was a cop, you didn't make, I mean, I know you guys still don't make a ton of money, but made even less than, and the bills never stopped. And you just, I always felt like no matter what I did, you know, it wasn't going to be right at work. And then you're, you can't get ahead. You can't save money. It's, it it was just everything piled upon. And I was like, okay, if, if, you know, you go in and somebody shot me at work, you know, I could die at least a hero and the family would be taken care of. And that was kind of my mindset at that point too, that you guys would be fine. The kids would get over it. And, 
you know, I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense now, but that's just kind of how I felt. And for, I wish I would have got out earlier. Um, I switched apartments. I thought maybe a change of scenery, a little more money would help. Um, and, and I think it did for a little bit, but ultimately the same thing was I just, I fell out of love with law enforcement. And when you lose that, when you lose your love for it and your passion for it, it's hard to do the job. And, uh, I, I wasn't doing anybody a justice with me staying, you know, keeping my badge. And, uh, it was at that point then, then I knew I had to go, but if, I, I wish I would have just gone a little earlier and taken anything, any job, and figured it out. What was it that you felt like stopped you from doing that? Like, what was the fear of you finding something else with a little bit lesser pay? We could have made it work. I mean, and for those of you who know Brian and I, we were never we were never going to be left in the dark. We have great families that would have always helped us, but we're not, we don't like to dig into that. We wanted to figure it out. We needed to figure it out for ourselves. That's just the people we are. And when I got into real estate, thank God, there was something calling me to do something. I had to do something. And I was a hairdresser working part-time two days a week because that's all I could do because of his schedule. And we didn't have the money for daycare. We couldn't afford it. There was no way that was going to happen. If we were going to get daycare, there was no point to me working. And we had one grandma who was able to help. My mom works full time and she works, she's a hospice nurse. She works overnights on call. So she was, she helped as much as she can on the weekends when she was off. But my mother-in-law was luckily able to keep our kids a couple nights a week. Um, well, I did go to work and I would make some extra money, but for some reason, I knew I had to do something. He was getting so bad, I had to do something. And I got into real estate and I went into this crazy place. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Notebook where Noah goes nuts and he like finishes the house in like a day. <laughs> that was me finishing my license and like learning everything real estate within like a month. And then I reinvented the wheel because I felt like it was all being done completely wrong and stupid. And I relaunched this new methodical, wonderful way to do, to do real estate. <laughs> and it worked like a charm. And then I built Back the Brave, which was a program that helped move first responder families like ours for much less. I got them specific savings um, from all my affiliates. And I think we ended up saving most families on average, we still do, like five or $6,000 off the transaction collaboratively and legally and ethically. Anywho. Um, and it just popped off because there was nothing ever, there was nothing like that. People weren't willing to give away their own money to help other people. And that's something that I've always believed in. It wasn't about the money for me. It was about, Hey, for us, we were already poor. I mean, we were already living so close paycheck to paycheck that I wasn't afraid of not making money. I just needed more money. So I figured, you know, I'll do the hair. I'm still making that money. If I can just sell a house here and there, that'll supplement That'll take some brunt. I, all I had to do in my head was sell four to five houses per year, make an extra 40 to 50K per year to supplement his income and I could get him out. And when I launched all these programs and I went freaking crazy because I 
was on a mission to not only pull him out of law enforcement, but to help families like ours who I knew could never buy a house because they didn't have the down payment, could never buy a house because we just had to get very creative with lenders and, um, you know, title company discounts and inspection discounts. We had to get really creative on how to make this work for them. And we did it. And the goal wasn't to make a bunch of money. The goal was like, oh my God, another police family. They can't afford to do this. We got to help them. They need to move. They're upside down on their house. We've got to get them out of it. What do we do? How do we do it? And I chased the solution to help fellow blue line families like my own. And then the money came. And as that money came and the success started, I was able to finally look at him that night at a Mexican restaurant, went to eat and he blew up at the table over God knows what. And basically he made the suicide threat again. Grayson, who is my oldest, understood it, started crying. I got so angry. I said I was done. We ordered food. We had to leave. It was a nightmare. People were looking. It was completely uncomfortable. And we got in the car and we drove home. I cried all the way home. And I typed up his resignation letter that night and I sent it to his lieutenant. And that was it. It, there was no longer an option of Brian staying. And at that point, I made the executive decision, executive decision for my family, for myself, for my marriage, for my kids, that he was too sick. Whew, this is getting hard to talk about. <laughs> he was too sick to continue. And I wasn't going to lose him over that. And I know so many of you are right there right now. You're on the verge you feel like you have been ran through a marathon and you're still coming up gasping for air. I feel you. I get it. Um, it makes me sick to my stomach. And it's a driving force behind what we're doing with this charity. I want you guys to know that. But I also want to tell this story. And the reason why is because people don't talk about this enough. When you tell people that you are mentally sick, that you are in a dark place, no matter what everybody says, there are those people out there that are gonna make you feel not okay because of that statement. And that has to stop. That absolutely cannot continue. It's killing people. It's murder. It's the same thing. I went through it a few months ago. I had probably four or five months ago, we are dealing with an autism diagnosis. We're shut down in the middle of a pandemic. I'm fighting school boards and teachers. I've got an issue with a parent with my dad. Um, I've got an issue with, we're moved, We're in the middle of moving. We're selling two houses. We got a rehab out. We have, sorry, maybe this is TMI, but I don't know, $200,000 out at the time. I was, a, I was so, I had a heart condition. My heart started going crazy because of all the stress. And I just shut down. And I remember telling everybody, I'm in this dark place. I need help. I'm not well. I'm not well. And I remember most people, most people knocked on my door and stood there and said, what are we doing? What are we doing? Let's talk. Let's fix it. Let's, let's go. But there were a few that I was really surprised at their reaction. I want to tell you that that hurt me or that that bothered me. And I'm going to ask Brian the same question in a second. It did. However, the outcome and the good people that showed up, I don't have any regrets. I wouldn't have changed a thing. They made it all better. And what did you tell me 
the day that you walked out of your last police department on your last day. What did you tell me about that day? When you walked out on that day, you put your two weeks in. You were told not to serve out those two weeks. Mm-hmm. Then you were in trouble because you didn't serve out those two weeks. I have no idea. I really don't even know what the hell happened, to be completely honest. Um, it was a disaster. And nine and a half years in law enforcement, helping the community, seeing things that are so graphic and awful that nobody has to normally see. You go and you say, I'm done. I'm mentally done. I cannot do this job anymore. I'm sorry. I have to go for the betterment of myself to save my own life. I can't do this anymore. And what did you tell me when you walked out that night? Do you remember the exact words you said? Because I do. (sighs) That night? um... You came home and you said that was the loneliest walk out the door I've ever taken. Mm -hmm. The loneliest walk out the door you've ever taken. And it felt... I remember how sad you were and how dark it was for you because you felt so guilty about that, about leaving for the betterment of us and for the betterment of your kids. You felt horrible about it for a long time. You guys, he felt really bad about it. But then what happened? What happened as you started to open your eyes to who was standing next to you, clapping, cheering you on and helping you? What ended up happening? Hey, you you slowly become who you were again. And that's what happened with me. And you realize that, I mean, I, I, I had so much built up resentment. I think when I left, you know, I was, I left at, at two in the morning and um, they were just like, you can leave your stuff in your locker. And then uh, said goodbye to the guys on my shift. And that was basically it. And then you feel, you already feel bad. You feel like, you know, you kind of abandoned the guys that you worked with. And then it's the dynamic just changes. And I literally, I like would drive by a police department and just hate it. Like hate cops and the departments and everything they stood for. Before or after? After. Because of just the anger I had on how it ended with me that, you know, you're just a number. Honestly, it doesn't matter. You quit today. You're going to be replaced tomorrow. And, it is what it is, but you feel like that you were more valuable than that. I mean, you put your life on the line, you went out there and you did what you were supposed to do for that department and you just feel like it's not returned. And let me tell you something. That's, again, how you feel. You feel that way. Yes. The public does not feel that way. Most people at your department did not feel that way. You in your head created a scenario because of a few people that may have felt that way. You might have had a handful that felt that way, that were disappointed, that were sad, that wanted you to fail. But in reality, when your eyes open up and the sun comes back out and you start to catch up on that sleep, you start to realize how much you played that out in your head differently than it, in, than it was because most people support you. They're grateful for your service. They're so thankful for you. And they love you so much that if you decided to take your life because you are mentally exhausted, you would end theirs ultimately. You just wouldn't be here for the mess that it made when you leave. And you can't do that because even though it feels very lonely, I think it's really important to tell you how successful we are now, how happy we are now, 
how our marriage is unbelievably good. He drives me up a wall 99% of the time. I want to do nothing but punch him in the face, but then I want to kiss him. (laughs) We have us back. He's back. He is the most incredible father. He laughs again. He loves again. He literally has the longest fuse. I can light that sucker and let it burn for a long, long time. And he will not pop off. He is back to himself. And it's only been how long since you left? Um, I left in uh, July or August of 17. So four years. And I will be honest with you. He was himself again within probably a year and a half. You really started to make major progress within a year and a half. You, as soon as you, as soon as I, I left, it felt like the world had been lifted off my shoulders. So there was, there was relief, even though it was hard for a while because it just becomes your life. You work so much. Um, it, it just becomes you and it takes a while to get past that and realize that's not what I am. I'm not a cop because you used to talk and, and people would say, oh, what'd you used to do? And you tell them and you were like, oh, I'm a cop. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, I was, I was a cop. I used to be. And it's weird. And sometimes I think I still catch myself doing that. Like, oh yeah, we did, we do this or we do that. I'm like, wait a minute now, that's not me anymore. But it, it right away, the feeling, I, I can't describe it. It was just like euphoria, basically, not to have to know I don't have to work another midnight shift and to know I don't, I don't know, you know, I just. It's just a big burden off your chest. When you get there, when you get there, that's what it feels like. And it gets the scariest thing in the world, but. I want to normalize having these conversations and telling these stories. And if you have a story that you're willing to share and you would hop on here, I have a link I can send and you can jump right on a podcast with me or you can email it to me and I'll read it. But I want to normalize telling these stories because maybe yours is a little different. Maybe you're not all the way there yet. Maybe your spouse is telling you you're different. Hey, you're different. Hey, you're different. And you're not listening or you're not hearing them. Maybe you feel it a little bit, but you don't know what to do. What we do know is that the old school methods of go seek counseling isn't an option. For Brian, I don't care if I would have brought a counselor. Okay, here, let's put it this way. I could have put a naked Playboy model counselor in front of his face. and He would have been like, get out of my house. There was zero chance in hell he was going to sit with a counselor and talk to them. Zero chance in hell. We Trust me. I tried this avenue. Now, I went and talked to a counselor. I'm going to be honest. I don't believe it did anything. I hurt too much. I missed him too much. I was... It, I There wasn't... For us, him leaving was the only option. I'm not saying that's for everybody. Him leaving was the only option. For others, what I'm looking for, if you're done listening to this, what I need from you, info at stmichaelsarmy.org, S-T-M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S, army.org. I need from you, what is it that would help you if you are a spouse or if you are an officer, whatever it is, whoever you are, or if you're even an officer's parent, an officer's grandparent, you see these signs, you see these symptoms, Mostly, I guess I should say I am most interested in you guys that are the cops that are feeling like you're hearing this from someone that loves you. 
what is something that would help you? Is it building up a second form of income? Um, Maybe resources to help you do that. We do have some things in the works. We have a class with another real estate brokerage um, and a hard money lender company that works within that brokerage. We're going to try to talk about flipping and investing for police officers with nothing out of pocket. We're going to have a class specifically for you. You'll go in, you'll learn how to do it. You'll learn the, the, the ins and outs of flipping or investing in homes and how to do it with very little cash or no cash up front. Maybe building that second layer of income for financials is good. Maybe do you guys just need to take some vacation? What is it that you feel that's not counseling that would help you if maybe you're not all the way here, but you're close or you feel different? What is something that would help you? We talked about in the beginning of this podcast, St. Michael's Army is going to help with those of you who feel like you're just exhausted and you need help with things like lawn care, babysitting, um, house cleaning, you know, stuff like that. I, I, I always go to those three things because I just don't know of anything, <laughs> personally, anything else. Those are the things that I want. Um, what are the things that you feel like we could offer you that you would do? If you won't do counseling, you're hearing this, you're feeling this, and you won't do counseling, we're good with that. We get it. We wouldn't either. Can't fault you for it. What are things that would help? What I also want to add to that is if you think that getting out is for you, maybe like Brian said, consider changing departments, a change of scenery. Maybe that buys you some time. Maybe consider something different for a while and coming back. You can always put your, what do you guys do? Like license and or like your badge, like reserve officer. You can do something with your license and your badge, right? To you where reserve, but you can also keep up on your, I think if somebody will hold it, you can just keep up on your your uh, training and your classes, keep your hours up, and you can you'll be fine. So you could do something like that and step away from it, do something else for a little while, um, and then go back to it. Maybe you need to walk away, and you need assistance, or you need a sideline conversation with people like us or other officers that we know who have left and made that jump. Maybe you just need to sit down and talk to us. We're not counsel. We're going to go out and we're not going to counsel you. We're going to go have a drink with you and um, like eat a bunch of really unhealthy food because I really like to do that. And then I, I want to complain that I'm fat later. That's what I do. That's true. <laughs> but we're not going to counsel you. We'll just listen. And maybe that's, that's the decision you have to come to. If you're fearful of leaving, or if you're fearful of making a decision to seek help, whatever it looks like, whether it be any of those things we talked about or counseling, if that's a way you want to go, we can get you that paid for. Resources are there. We will take care of it. That's the whole purpose of this charity is to help the everyday officer with whatever you guys need to make your life easier. It can be anything. Any request can be submitted. The board's going to look at them, investigate them, review them, and vote on them. And we're going to help as many of you guys as you can. And whether it's something like, I just need my dog walked once a week so I can sleep through, you know, 3 p.m. Fine, we'll figure it out. You know, whatever it is, big or small, that's what we're here for. So come to us with those needs and let us know what they are. But also, let us know what 
you guys need as far as fixing this goes. And also be brave to those of you willing to share your story. Be brave enough to speak it right now. And if you can't or you don't want to, or you're like concerned about identity, email it to me from a totally made up email address. I don't even care. It can be random Gmail. Tell me your story and I'll tell it. Because again, I think it's just so important with where we are at right now and the changes that are happening in law enforcement. We're losing too many of the good ones for reasons that we should not be. If we start normalizing these conversations, we might actually make impactful changes. Remember that we are all the main character in our own head. In our own story, we're all running around as the main character. It is not like that in anybody else's head. Nobody is thinking about this as hard as you are. Nobody is judging you as much as you think that they are. Nobody's going to judge you as much as you think that they will. And if they do, let them, because it's going to be short-lived, but you will still be here. And I think that's the most important thing that you need to remember is that in life, these positions are temporary. They're not forever. They don't have to be permanent. There are solutions. And there are more people being silent who will help you than who are being loud who will work against you. Info at stmichaelsarmy.org. Reach out to us if there is anything we can do to help, anything you need, any ideas or concepts you have, or any resources we can provide you with. Also, if you're willing to share your story, your truth, I would love to have you on here to do that. Guys, be safe. You are not alone. We appreciate you. No matter how long you've been a cop, it's longer than I would ever (laughs) agree to do this job. You ain't going to find me breaking up no domestic anywhere in Missouri, anywhere in the world. (laughs) Honestly, you could put me anywhere. I'm not breaking up. I don't even like when fights break out at a bar and I'm drunk or drinking with friends and there's a fight, I like run away. I don't try to fix it. I've never been the girl who jumps in the middle of it to try to fix things. Those are the girls you get punched right in the face. (laughs) Like I'm a wuss and I'm running away. I'm going to run away every time. Thank God for those of you who run to the problem to protect people like me. We need you. We love you. We appreciate you. doesn't matter if you've been a cop for a year or if you've been a cop for 40 years. It's amazing what you're doing and we are grateful. Be safe out there. We will catch you on the next episode. The next episode, Brian. We have episodes. Um, We'll catch you on the next one. And we've got a really, really great guest. So hopefully you come back to listen.